are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by John Corrales of Locked On Celtics as Jason Tatum drops a 50-piece against the Brooklyn Nets. Just how good has Jason Tatum been this season? How far can he and Jalen Brown take this Celtics team? What is different from where the Celtics were earlier this season to where they are now? Then we touch base with Matt Moore of Locked On Nuggets as Nikola Jokic has himself a huge game, a 46-point triple-double in an overtime win against the New Orleans Pelicans. Is Jokic on the way to his second MVP award? Then we chat with Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavs as the Mavericks are making their way up the ranks of the Western Conference playoff picture. Just how good has Luka Doncic been? And Spencer Dinwiddie, the deadline acquisition for the Mavericks, what has his impact been like for this Dallas Mavericks team? Let you know today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. As always, we appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is host of Locked on Celtics, John Corrales. John, Celtics are enjoying a win streak capped off with a Jason Tatum. 50-piece against the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving. And to my knowledge, Jason Tatum's the only player this season with multiple 50-point games so far. There's still time left in the season. But an electric performance between the Celtics and the Nets. It's always exciting when Kyrie Irving is is back in town for Boston fans. I'm sure you can attest to that a little bit. But <laughs> what, what were you seeing just throughout this game, specifically from J- Jason Tatum, as he was you know racking up bucket after timely bucket? against the Nets yeah I mean JT was on one in this game like not just not just hot from three though he hit 53 percent of his threes he was eight of 15 but hot from from the field hot getting to the rim the the getting to the rim part is the most important part um the way he's been playing I, I think this is the, a pivotal season for him the the way he's been playing is is different then he's played all along. Emi Odoka had been challenging him all season long to be more of a playmaker, to make his teammates better. And, and you saw that in this game tonight, even when he was attacking and, and just brilliantly getting to the rim, a couple of dribble moves that I'm not even sure how he pulled those off. But he also, in a key moment, it gave the ball up. And it ended up in a Jalen Brown three-pointer that kind of was the the straw that broke the Brooklyn back. And he invited the double team on that. And it, that's that's been the most important part. He's not trying to beat double teams by shooting over them. He's not trying to always kind of do it all himself anymore. And that has allowed his teammates to, to blossom and, and to really kind of benefit from him drawing all of the attention so you you saw a little bit of all of that stuff in this game from Jason Tatum yeah especially we've spoken about this before and I know you've spoken at length about this but just that relationship that dynamic between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown I feel like there's been a lot made of you know whether this duo is is truly going to be a duo that can flourish together in the future are we starting to see more of that with these two guys with Jason trusting Jalen to be his you know his running mate you know through thick and thin 
Absolutely. I think I think this season, where with all of the talk that's kind of been like maybe we need to break these guys up, I think that's kind of steeled them a little bit. Like they, I think they have they've even said that we've had conversations about this. You know, do you want to be here? Yeah. Do you want to be here? Yeah. Let's well then let's go do this. And and I think they are um they, they are understanding of what Ime has been trying to get them to do. And they have, I think they've always trusted each other. I think they've only just started to figure out what that can truly be, right? Like before you say, yeah, of course I trust him. And I, of course we trust each other, but your, your habits were okay, but I'm still going to do this because I believe in myself as well. It's not that I don't trust him. I just believe in my own skills. I think now they understand like, all right, if I'm going to get double teamed, then no problem. I'm going to give it up. And in a lot of these, the guy who gives it up tends to get it back a lot of times. So they they certainly trust each other. One of my favorite moments, or maybe the favorite moment of this game, after Jalen hits that three-pointer, he gets fouled and he's laying on the floor and Jason goes over, like grabs his arms like he's going to pick him up, but he's like pumping him up while he's on the ground. And he when he does pick him up, he just gives him a big bear hug. Because uh, he hit the the huge shot, and and that's that's what they need from each other. It, in in the next game, it could very easily be Jalen who goes off for fifty, and Tatum who gets the twenty one points, and they're comfortable with that. So it, I think their relationship is good. What's been to you, John, the biggest change with you know who the Celtics are now, com- or you know compared to who they were or what they were doing on the floor earlier this season when they were struggling? Just you know, how has Ime Odoka been able to kind of get these guys to buy in and kind of turn things around a bit? Well, I think he's been a very strong-willed coach, and this is what the the team has said they wanted. And he, you know, we use the term around here, coaching them hard a lot this season. And he's just kind of stayed on them. This is how you're supposed to play. We're not going to allow you to make, you know, if you're if you're going to go ISO too much, we're going to make sure that you know about it in film sessions. And, and you know, you're going to have to continue to do this. And when 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 they do do it and it goes well, then you know he's very kind of effusive with his praise. Like it's it's very much he compared it to like raising a kid and. Sometimes you tell a kid, don't do that. And what does a kid do? He does exactly that. And it takes a while for the kid to learn. And in a lot of ways, look, Jason just turned 24. So in a lot of ways, he is still very young and and set in his ways. And he's, he's really coming out of that. The Celtics hang their hats on defense. They've had the league's number one defense. I don't know after giving up 120 if they'll seed that back to the Golden State Warriors. But they're right there overall for the, the, the number one defense this season. They have generally defended extraordinarily well. Even in this game, they did give up 120, but late in the game, they they changed up their style a little bit. They blitzed a lot more, which they kind of decided to do on the fly. They they are capable of defending in a lot of different ways, and they've got a lot of versatile guys. They're figuring it out. They're 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 locked in, so to speak, and they are trusting of one another. They communicate well, and that that's I think all culminating in the the run that you've seen them make. How impactful have the deadline acquisitions of Daniel Tice and Derek White been to the Celtics and just kind of bolstering, you know, that rotation off the bench? I think Derek White has been pretty important in in not by scoring a ton or doing like he his his role I think he's still getting adjusted to 
um, the the city and the, and the changes and all of that stuff. He's living at a hotel, and you know it's 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 just a little bit different for him. He's used to being a starter, and he's getting adjusted to this bench role. But the thing with Derek White is that he makes quick decisions, and that's if we can look at one huge difference is when you had Dennis Schroeder on the floor, he just takes a lot of time. He just naturally he's a high usage guy, but he he holds the ball a lot. And it's one of the things that drove me crazy earlier this season because he would hold the ball and drive and all that stuff. I'm like, you know, Jason Tatum is standing in the corner and he's, he's been standing there for two straight possessions. Maybe you want to get him the ball and end of fourth quarter where, where Ime didn't trust a lot of guys. So he went with Schroeder and Marcus smart as a combination in the fourth quarter. That was disastrous. And he went, he, if I have a criticism of Adoka for, you know, earlier this season, he went with that too long and stuck with it too long. Now that, now that Derek White's there, the ball is moving. And even if Derek is not the one who's scoring or, or he's making quick decisions, he understands that 0.5 mentality that Ime brought over from San Antonio. And Daniel Tice, he's he's not having as much of an impact because he, he's not getting a ton of playing time. But those few times that he does, you can see that he can slide in and, and, and do some of the Robert Williams things. He can do some of the Al Horford things, enough where – if you need to go to him in, in a certain situation, certain matchup, you can trust him. And he did make a couple of big plays down the stretch here. So not as much of an impact as Derek White, but still, you know, every once in a while he'll show up and do something good. John, what's the the biggest question mark for this Celtics team as we approach, you know, postseason right around the corner? Yeah, I, I mean, I think is the biggest one is can they can they keep doing this? Can they keep this up? Um and and I hate to say this because this is like the, the the stock answer is can they stay healthy? But this team especially needs everybody because Ime has has really whittled this down to about an eight man rotation. So you've got a starting five of Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford, and Robert Williams, and you know you're going with Derek White, and you know you're going with Grant Williams. That's seven. Those are your main rotation guys. Your eighth guy is going to be Peyton Pritchard probably, but it could be somebody else based on situations. And after that, it, it's no, no one's really sniffing much time. When you shorten your rotation that much, losing one of those guys becomes much more impactful. And so the question for the Celtics is, can they keep this intact moving forward? And you say, Hey, maybe the, the injury luck that the, the really bad injury luck that they had at the beginning of the season maybe that that's run its course and they've ex- expelled all of the bad luck and they can at least stay whole moving forward. If they can, then they have the potential to, to really make some noise in the playoffs. But if they lose even one guy, then that throws them off a little bit. And as you move up in the rotation, like you, you obviously you can't lose Tatum or Brown. They're not built. They don't have the depth to withstand any limitation to, to either of those guys. How much higher can the Boston Celtics climb in the Eastern Conference standings with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and company? You're going to have us covered for that and everything else. Boston Celtics over at Locked on Celtics. John, thanks for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. You got it, man. Anytime. Coming up, Nikola Jokic drops a 46-point triple-double against the New Orleans Pelicans. Is he headed for his second 
MVP award. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, when it comes to protein bars, you've got to check out Built Bar. They are the number one protein bar on the market. So many amazing flavors to choose from. Strawberry, cookies and cream, raspberry, peanut butter, mint brownie, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit. Maybe stick true to some of those New Year's resolutions. And you can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your very next order of the best, the number one tasting protein bars on the market. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, as always, we appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Nuggets and Locked On NBA Tuesdays, Matt Moore. Matt, Fresh off of an overtime win against the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, Nikola Jokic finished with an just an absolutely absurd stat line, a stat line that I guess we're just kind of numb to almost to this point, but let me just roll this back really quick. 46 points, 16 of 22 from the floor, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, three steals, four blocks, a 46-point triple double it wasn't quite the 50 piece that Jason Tatum had earlier but this was an absolutely insane game from Jokic and in this one in the final seconds Jokic had a chance he, he got the steal dished it over to Jeff Green Jeff Green missed what would have been the game-winning little put shot at the rim is that almost like an encapsulation of of this Nuggets team this season to where Nikola Jokic is doing absolutely everything in his power for this Nuggets team and you know unfortunately just falling just a little bit short in regulation, but then, you know, eking out the win in overtime. Uh, I don't want to screw over Jeff that way. I think Jeff wasn't expecting him to shoot. Uh, there was 3.2 seconds left when he made the steal. So on, you know, even Michael Malone after the game was like, I, I thought he was going to shoot it. and It was going to be a walk-off because that's what you would expect from him. I think honestly, this game is more kind of encapsulated just by the fact of when Jokic, Jokic had, I still can't believe this Jackson. Jokic had 30 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, he had, he didn't play the entire fourth quarter, so he had 30 points in 15 minutes. That's the thing that he did. Um, they were down 10 with like 339 remaining. Their win probability at that point was 3%. And Nikola Jokic just said, no, that's not happening. Jokic had a massive block to help get them in position to get the win. He, he had that steal, like you mentioned on the inbound play. Uh, he is the first player in NBA history since 1974 when stats became started to get tracked to have the stat line that he did along with four, three steals and four blocks. He actually had a fourth steal that they somehow took away. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Jackson. I've been doing this a long time. I think that may have been the best regular season, regular season performance I've ever seen. I don't know that I've seen a better one. I can't remember anybody having a better one. I saw Russ's triple-double 50-pointer to beat the Nuggets, I would say this was better than that. Like, the Pelicans played really well tonight. They played really well. That's a really good team. And Nikola Jokic was just simply unstoppable. And really, the story of the season, honestly, is that they have gotten enough contributions from the rest of the team with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. out and P.J. Dozier lost for the year to get them in position where Jokic can win a handful of these for him. He's got, I don't know, 
maybe seven to 10 of these where it's just been like, yeah, they would have lost, but Jokic was just like, no. And when you have a guy like that, it fundamentally changes what your ceiling is. And that's the separation between them and being a 500 team is Nikola Jokic and the ability of what he has to shape the game, to control the game and to dominate the game at every level. When you consider, you know, all of that, right? Everything you just laid out about Nikola Jokic and just what he brings to the table for this Nuggets team, what he does on a nightly basis. I mean, we we almost have to be, we should be talking about potentially, you know, Jokic and being a back-to-back MVP winner, right? At this point, like, to me, it's a two-man race between him and Joel Embiid for the award this year. Yeah, so I've gone back and forth on this. Um, what was funny is I'd actually kind of shifted to Embiid because I was like, well, look, you know, Joker's kind of had a rough 10 days or so. Like, he's kind of tailed off a little bit. He's taken his foot off the pedal. And, you know, the Nuggets have had some bad, like, they had that that Thunder loss, which was really bad. And then he does this tonight, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know that anybody's more valuable than him. Just the way that he is able to, to raise his team up. It'd be one thing if... It, because there's this idea of Jokic is working with less. And so that matters more. But the, the big difference I have with that is one, I don't think it's a, it's fair to punish Joel Embiid for his teammates being better. That's not fair. But when Jokic is on the floor, the Nuggets are better than the Sixers have been. And the record differential is, is really illustrative of how bad the bench has been versus how good the Nuggets are when Jokic is on the floor. I think it's going to be a very close race. I think it's going to be a very tough decision for the voters I think this game honestly might swing some because it was a Sunday night game, one of the last games of the night, uh, big audience, and you could tell like a lot of people were paying attention. They match up on March 14th. I honestly think that may be what decides it. I don't think that's maybe the best way to do it, but I do think that's what's going to wind up deciding is whoever comes out on top of the March 14th matchup between the Nuggets and the Sixers and who has a better game between Jokic and Embiid. It's going to be some must-see basketball, and it'll be really interesting to see if the Nuggets are at full strength for that game because the two names you mentioned earlier, two very important names for this Denver Nuggets team when they're at full strength, uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. Let's roll through both of these guys really quick here. Matt, obviously, let's start with MPJ. What's the latest on him and kind of his you know progression to getting back into you know the Nuggets rotation? He's likely to be assigned to uh, the... Grand Rapids Gold, the G League affiliate for the Denver Nuggets next week. Uh, there was some discussion of whether or not to do it. And I think ultimately at the end of the week, they decided that they're going to go ahead and assign him. He'll be there for practice, won't play in games. Uh, that's the second step of, step of his return. Um, then he'll return and probably, you know, we'll see what the schedule allows for a practice. They've got a four and five, so it's definitely not anytime soon. I would say that there's a chance that within the next two weeks, Porter's back. I would say there's a high probability in the next four weeks before the end of March, he's back. I would say that there is a, better than 85% chance that he's back before the end of the regular season. Okay. And then flipping over to the other important guy here, Jamal Murray and his absence. What's the latest on him and trying to get him back into the rotation? Porter, or I'm sorry, uh, Murray actually was on track to be ahead. Like he was looking at like more like a March return, but then there was about in health and safety protocols and he lost kind of some time there and his body just hasn't reacted through the later stages of his rehab, his body has not reacted the way that he's been hoping. So as of right now, I think it's probably a coin flip of whether or not he returns this season. It's looking less and less likely. Um, they've been adamant about he'll come back when he feels right. And he hasn't felt right. And he hasn't, has not looked like the player that he wants to be yet. And until he gets to that point, I'll also say this, he was practicing or doing shoot arounds before every game. He was doing a, a shooter, like a, a basic, a basic warm up drill 
before every game. And he's been doing that for since he got hurt, like right after surgery, he started doing that and he's ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. They've stopped that. So he's maybe doing it upstairs in the nuggets practice facility now, but for whatever reason, they are not, he's not doing that in public anymore. And that may be because they don't want so much attention on him as at this point, I think it's really a coin flip whether or not Murray returns this season. That's going to be tough to stomach for nuggets fans, but Matt, last thing here before I let you go, you know, how, maybe concerning isn't necessarily the right word, but, you know, trying to push that envelope with, with MPJ and, and possibly Jamal Murray here at the tail end of the season to, to maybe try and get those guys, you know, incorporated back into the rotation. Obviously the Nuggets are a better team when those two guys are on the floor, when they're available, but is there at all a concern in your mind or should there be about, you know, what this team might look like as far as, you know, throwing those guys back into the fire just before the postseason, just before things really, you know, ratchet up to the next level? Here's what I think is, is really interesting is I asked I asked around if there was a drop dead date. If it was there a date of no return where it's like, okay, if he's not back by this date, are these guys not available? And the answer has been no. That if they feel like they can contribute and they're ready to go in a playoff series, they might return then. Now, I think that's un, unrealistic. I don't think it's fair to ask that of them. I don't think it's fair to ask it of the team. Like, you need to have your rotation set out. But they're not ruling it out. They'll return whenever they're ready. I will say this, though. You know, the Nuggets have not pressured them in any way, and they've been very defensive of the players in that aspect. They've tried, like, media has gotten pushback on any sort of idea of pressure. Like, they have tried very hard to say over and over and over again, hey, they might not return this year. Hey, it's possible. Hey, you shouldn't expect them. You know, they'll be back whenever they'll be back. Like, they're very sensitive to this idea. I think MPJ is feels better and is more itching to get back. If It genuinely feels like MPJ wants to return this season. Murray's not there yet, or at least he wasn't the last time I was able to get information on it. And so we'll see if he's able to get there, but um, they know that they've got to protect the long-term view. They know that this core has, has an opening and they know the next year may be their best chance at a title. I think they want to maximize every window with Nikola Jokic, but that's why this has been so difficult. They're trying to balance a very difficult line between trying to compete right now with how Jokic is playing and understanding the next year may really be their best shot. Nikola Jokic is playing at an MVP level. Is he on the way to his second MVP award? Will MPJ and Jamal Murray be back in time for the Nuggets playoff push? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Nuggets. Matt, appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the Dallas Mavericks are climbing up the ranks of the Western Conference playoff picture with an impressive stretch of wins under their belt over this last week. What is happening in Dallas? Just how good has Spencer Dinwiddie been since the Dallas Mavericks acquired him from the Washington Wizards? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because, hey, football might be done for the season. Basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is your number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And hey, it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. BetOnline, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Make a little bit of money with Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Nick Angstad, host of Locked On Mavs and host of Locked On NBA Thursdays. Nick, a 21-point comeback against the Warriors 
pulling off the crunch time win against the struggling Lakers team, another win against the Warriors, and then holding on just barely by the skin of their teeth without Luka Doncic against the Sacramento Kings. It's been a busy yet productive week for the Dallas Mavericks, wouldn't you say? Dallas Mavericks are playing the best basketball they've played all year, right? This they're they're now what thirteen games above five hundred. That's the highest they've been this year. They are really close to getting that you know four seed and having home court advantage. And this is not something we thought about this team when they were sixteen and eighteen out of the gate. And, you know, like I think they were 12th in the West at some point, just trying to figure everything out and the Jason Kidd of it all and the Chris Porzingis of it all. And now it's it's so different watching this team post-trade because Jason Kidd has proven to be a, a, a good coach now, which is crazy. It's not something I thought I was going to say at the beginning of the season, and I'll admit that. But now post-trade, this team is so set in what they're doing. We know the answers to every question about this team. Some of the answers are not good. Like, what do they do? Rim protection center-wise, okay, it's Dwight Powell, it's Max Akleba, not great. But we know the answers to all the questions now. We know what roles everyone is going to play on this team. Now, the minutes and things will change and fluctuate, but we know all of those answers uh, about what this team is. They have a set identity. They play really good defense now. And it's just a really much more fun team to watch. If you've been avoiding the Mavericks because you thought that they weren't fun, this is now the time to jump back in. No, the Mavs are absolutely a fun team to watch. Luka Doncic is honestly one of the top five, you know, most fun players to watch in the league for me. It's very reminiscent of early James Harden days. I say, so it's I will very put that familiar in. basketball to you. It is. And it, you know, it's, it's really, it's to me, it's really weird watching this iteration of the Mavericks too, because I feel like Luca was in his like early James Harden Houston phase, trying to coexist alongside another very talented individual player in Christoph's Porzingis. And that was James Harden and Dwight Howard and Dwight, early yeah. on in Houston. And now they've since they, they were just like, okay, we're, we're done with this. We're done trying to make this work. We're done trying to fit this, you know, two man game. It just, it's not happening. Let's move Porzingis out. And now I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong here, Nick, I feel like this is now the mo the best, most complimentary set of players that Luca has had around him in his career to this point, because it feels like they're almost all tailor-made to just slot in around him, let him do what he does best, and then thrive because of him in this like heliocentric offense. It absolutely fits better, right? It's, it goes back to the identity thing. They have their identity. They know that, and that's why Spencer Dinwiddie has fit in so well so early, right? You have Luka, Dinwiddie, and Brunson. They can all play together. They can all play separately, and they're just going to attack the basket and make the ball move, and they're going to be around, and those guys can catch and shoot. They can drive. They can do all kinds of stuff with the ball, and then the other guys around them know that their roles are, okay, I'm Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm Reggie Bullock, I'm just going to stand in the corner and I will hit threes when asked, right? Or or finish on a closeout because somebody just closes out so hard and is doubling Luca on the other side of the court. Or I'm Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and I'm going to roll to the rim. Maxi's going to pop a little bit more than Dwight, but that's their role and that's what they stick to. And it's just so set uh, in their ways and they play small. They can go smaller now a little bit more often. They don't have to play Porzingis, that seven foot three you know, guy trying to figure out, okay, how does he fit in this defense? It's, it's made everything a little bit more seamless because you can just bench Dwight Powell and bench Maxi and bench these bigs and go super small. They did it at the end of the Kings game. They did it at the end of the Warriors game. They came back from, you know, 20 points in both of those, both of those games. And uh, it's, it's really just changed the whole format of this team and changed what they can do. 
You know, I, I'm glad you bring that up. Spencer Dinwiddie is is the name that I want to just talk about here because back when the Wizards were in a tailspin pre-trade, Ed Oliver of Locked on Wizards was on this very show, and he said that he believes Spencer Dinwiddie was better suited to a sixth-man role where he could kind of flourish off the bench, which looks like that's exactly what's happening in Dallas now with the exception of him starting the one game in place of Luka Doncic against the Kings. But what are you seeing from him and out of him on a nightly basis as he is kind of, you know, working himself into the core of this Dallas Mavericks team. Yeah, he's playing so well right now. If he if he keeps this up, he may not be in that six-man role just because he's playing so well. I mean, he's shooting like 45% from three or something like that and you know, getting to the free throw line and all that. He's just been so good and such a, a thing that the Mavs have needed for years. I know a couple of people on our YouTube channel commented, how long have you guys on Lockdown Mavs been talking about they need another ball handler? They need one more guy that can just handle the ball because if you think about the first series against the Clippers two years ago, it's Luka, it's Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, uh, Porzingis, Dorian, and you're like, who else do you trust with the ball on this entire team? It was like Luka and Berea was like the only people you trust with the ball in their hands because Brunson struggles against length and he wasn't as good as you know two years ago that he is right now. And you're like, man, there's just no one else you trust to even dribble the ball <laughs> at times on this team, especially in a playoff series. And so now you have Luka. Brunson has really taken, you know, gotten in his stride this year and taken a huge step forward. And now Dinwiddie is in this role where he is, yes, he's coming off the bench. Jason Kidd has messed with that three guard lineup a couple times and it's worked. Those guys can hit catch and shoot threes. Those guys can also dribble the ball. And if you swing the ball around, somebody else can drive. And it's just, it's a breath of fresh air a little bit because it's just been so heliocentric for the Mavs. Uh, just the only guy that can drive is Luca. Everybody else is either, you know, a, pick and roll big or a catch and shoot player. And so uh, adding that guy has just changed the offense. So, so dynamically that it's been, it's been great. Now he is in that six man role. Like, like Ed said, he, he is thriving in that role, uh, but him and Brunson have played well together. Their net rating on the court is plus 20, which I, I don't know if you know that that's very good. That's a very good net rating is outscoring your opponents by 20 points per hundred possessions. No, that is an incredible net rating, and <laughs> I, I wish I still had the net rating pulled up, but because I was I was curious to see the actual amount of minutes that they played in that three guard lineup that you've referenced a couple yeah, times. Yeah, it's not now. much. It's like sixty five it, possessions right now, or something like that. Yeah, so it, it'll be really interesting to see whether that gets utilized a bit more by Jason Kidd down the line, situationally and whatnot. But you mentioned Kidd earlier, and I think is it at this point, you know. Earlier this season, there were a lot of question marks about Jason Kidd, but can we say pretty confidently now that he's had a decent level of success with the Mavericks, given where they're at now at this point in the season? Oh, you can't say that he hasn't had success, right? Like, there's just, there's no way you can you can deny at this point that he has been a successful coach for the Mavs so far. Uh, especially looking at, I mean, the numbers we brought up on Lockdown Mavs today, we're talking about their comebacks and the way that this team has, you know, been down in some of these games. They were down 21 to the Warriors and came back with both Steph and Clay playing. They were down 19 to the Kings without Luka Doncic this weekend, and they came back in both of those games. They've come back from down 10 at any point in the game, down 10 points. They've come back and won 13, 13 times. That's a big, that's a pretty big number so far through the season with like 20 or so games left to go that this team has been able to come back and mount comebacks. Um, they only did it seven times all of last year, if you want to put it in perspective. So this team is, you know, is poised. Jason Kidd is putting them in the right positions. And all the stuff Spencer Dinwiddie has been saying about, well, you know, the roles and they were changing things up in Washington. It was just all confusing and all this. He said the opposite about the Mavs so far. Everyone knows their roles. Everyone is, is you know, set and uh, inspired to, you know, to play their roles by Jason Kidd. He has been, the, you know, this incredible players coach that the Mavs hoped that he could be. 
And he's really just changed his tone. That's the big thing that has just changed so much that I think from, from all the stuff that I talked about with Kane, Kane Pittman and I had many conversations about what was Jason Kidd like in Milwaukee? And what was, you know, what kind of a coach was he? And Miran Fader's book, like, was all that real? You know, like we were talking about all that. And his tone has changed so much. This is this drop has been something that we've we've I've I've had in almost every show. This is a positive world. This is a positive world. That's what Jason Kidd has become. He's become this such a positive presence. He's promoting, you know, every, he's empowering everybody on the team. He's you know being positive. We have not heard like he's only had one tech this year, I think, or maybe two. Uh, he's just been so positive in every area, and I think he's really trying to change the perspective that was on him and the, and what you know people like me and and everybody else thought about him before he became this coach um there's all the talks before he became an assistant in la he was going to little finger his way into you know the starting you know you know being the head coach of that team and i think he really wants to change that perspective and i think he has so far it'll be really interesting to see how this all plays out for the dallas mavericks the last time this mavericks team actually lost was on the road against the utah jazz just a five-point loss on the road in utah a rematch that they're getting ready to face monday night a potential Western Conference 4-5 playoff preview. You're definitely going to want to tune into that game, and you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Mavs. Nick, thanks for tuning into Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked on NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the new Locked on NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on NBA. The biggest stories with the local experts.